tell you, listen, listen, no matter what's going on in your world, no matter how much havoc is happening, maybe you created all the havoc. When you call upon the Lord, he hears your voice, he looks upon your affliction, and he seeks to redeem. doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how messed up you've made everything. When you call upon the Lord, he will hear you when you cry. He will see what is happening and he will do a work. No matter how terrible things are going in your life or how far away you've gotten from God, he's not giving up on you. In today's message, Pastor Daniel is encouraging us to reach out to God for help, no matter the circumstances. God wants to come into our lives and wants to demonstrate his power. If we ask him to step in, he will, and he'll work in ways only he can get credit for. God loves us and always works to bring us closer to Him. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 26 with part two of his message, Be Special. You need to learn God's faithfulness and you'll never learn that God is faithful unless you say, God, this is what you're asking of me and so You're faithful, and I want to learn that you're faithful, so I need to put myself in a situation that you've prescribed in your word, not because I have to, but because I want to grow and see your faithfulness. I'm here to tell you, I got three kids. I was bivocational pastor for of my ministry time because I was church playing. Every time a church got big enough to keep me on staff, I would turn it over to a pastor. I'd go start all over again, working three jobs doing the ministry. I'm here to tell you, God has always provided And when things would go on that were crazy, I remember me and Lynn, we'd lay bills before the Lord and we'd say, Lord, we are seeking to honor you. We give of our first fruits, Lord. This is your bill. We don't know how to afford this. And we've watched God provide in the most extraordinary ways. We had simple faith enough to say, God, we're just going to trust you in this. And it doesn't make sense. Like I remember when I first went into the ministry, I got paid $500 a month as an intern. That was my first ministry job. My rent was $500 a month, right? So I was working some side jobs. And I remember I was working for a guy in the church, one of the elders there, he had like a drywalling company. So I was like hanging drywall and mudding it. And, you know, and it's funny. And I'm just like, and I'm like doing it for Jesus. I'm like, Lord, yeah, this is awesome. You know, I'll never forget it. He was mudding a wall. I was waiting for it to dry so I can sand it. I felt like the Lord said, Daniel, you need to stop doing this. I didn't ask you to do this. You just don't trust me. And I'm just like, you know, I'm having, I'm arguing with God, right? I'm like, Lord, you know, the church only pays me 500 bucks a month, you know, and I'm giving a tithe on that. So I'm at 450, you know? And I'm like giving God like the math discussion, like God didn't invent math, you know? And I'm like, Lord, that doesn't even include food. It doesn't include any of this stuff. And, and Lord's like, no, no, I want to teach you something. And I remember going to the guy at the end of the day and say, hey, listen, I know we have this job through the end of the week. At the end of the week, I'm supposed to not work for you. And I'm grateful for the job, but I feel like, and he's like, how are you going to provide for yourself? I'm like, you know, I don't know. 
And so I stepped down. I remember went to my pastor and I said, God told me I'm supposed to just work here. And he's like, well, you only make 500 bucks. It was like giving me the talk. And I'm like, I know I'm just supposed to do this. And I'm here to tell you, I didn't go into debt not one time. There was moments where I'm like, Lord, I don't have any food. And I would go back and there'd be a bag of groceries on my doorstep. And I wouldn't be like, you know, walking through the church like I'm starving. You know what I mean? Like trying to hint to everybody to help me. You know, and like literally, I'd come home, there'd be a bag of food, and I'm just be like, praise God. You know what I mean? Or I need work on my car, and then someone would come, hey, you know, can you help me with this thing? Sure. And then they're like, here, I'm just going to give you 20 bucks. And I'm just like, wow, you know? But because I was giving unto the Lord, I'm here to tell you, I don't ever stress about finances, and I never have. Because I realize that God tells me I can trust him in this. I mean, it's the only place where God says, test me in that. In the book of Malachi, test me. And when God says, like, put me to the test, I think some of you, God's telling you, I'm telling you what you already know because I think God's, his spirit's already been saying, you need to start trusting me. And the reason I think finances are such a challenging place is because we all know that number on the online banking account, like you can't make up more numbers on there. It's like that number is a fixed number. But the idea here is you're giving the first fruits and notice the wordage because I think what God really wants to get at is for us to realize where our source is. Because what it says here, it says, first of all the produce of the ground which you bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. Whose land is it? It's their land. But whose land is it really? It's God's land. See, part of the gift of giving of your first fruits is you're acknowledging it's not my work that provides for me, it's God's. And I am returning to God what he has entrusted to me. See, God is trusting us and asking us to be faithful stewards. And we're saying, God, I'm going to turn some of that back to you because the only way I can be a faithful steward is because you already are faithful. So that's how this works. Same way, our lives are not our own. We were bought at a price, right? So we give our lives back to God who gave us life. It's this this kind of law of reciprocal affection that God gives to us and we return it to him. It's like the greatest commandment. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, right? We learn in 1 John that we love God, why? Because he first loved us. See, God loves us first, and then we return the love that he's given us back to him. And in the same way, God has given us life, and then we give our lives back to God, and we let God do what he wants to do with it. And with the finances and the provision that God gives us, he gives it to us, and we just turn right, we give it right back to him. And that's the way that we're supposed to live. God gives, and we return it. And as God gives, and we return to him, then the overflow of that relationship goes outward into the world. But I think for many of you, your growth in Christ is stunted because you're not taking the opportunities to live out the faith that God has given you. Not because tithing makes you grow. It's that act of obedience and how that act of obedience interacts in the spirit that you get the opportunity to experience God's faithfulness. So I just want to encourage you just to take a step of faith because from Genesis to Revelation, not in a legalistic way, not in like a God is really going to bless me because I gave my tithe. No, it's God is the most generous person I've ever met. And if I'm becoming more like God, then I'm going to start to be more generous. And I'm going to realize that God doesn't need my money, but I actually need to be generous. 
because you're more blessed to give than receive. We were designed to be people who distribute God's blessings into the world. And I'm not only talking about finances, I'm talking about love and joy smiles, and self-sacrificial service. The totality of our lives lived generously into the world. And don't miss the fact that when we live generously in a broken world, in a selfish society, that we shine like lights set on a lampstand. When the people of God live with radical generosity, radically generous in forgiveness and in grace and service in a world that everyone's like, take, 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 We shine as a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. So we want to be people who return to God the first fruits that he has given us. Now, what's beautiful about this is they bring it to whoever's the priest in the time that they're doing it, right? Wherever God decides to place his name. So the idea here is the tabernacle at this time, that mobile worship tent, which once they move into the promised land ends up in a couple different places, ultimately in Jerusalem. And then when they replace the tabernacle with the temple, wherever God places his name. And so you bring it there and then there's this recital, these declarations. And what's beautiful about this is they remind themselves about how faithful God is. So part of this whole thing is I'm going to declare that God has been faithful and so I'm giving God a gift of his own faithfulness. Look what it says in the middle of verse 3. I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us and then the priest shall take the basket, verse 4, out of your hands and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. So first thing is God has put us into the land that he promised for us. God told us he was going to do it. He told Abraham he was going to do it. He told Isaac and Jacob, we've got all these promises. We're in that land. God promised and he was faithful to do it. And then the priest takes it, he puts it on the altar. And then you say this, you say, my father was a Syrian about to perish and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there few in number. And there he became a nation great and mighty and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and afflicted us and laid hard bondage on us. And then we cried out to the Lord, our God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Do you see what's going on? There's this constant recital in the scriptures of the testimony of what God has done in the life of the children of Israel. And that's why your testimony is important. You can't forget what God has done. And you find that the children of Israel recite their familial history over and over and over and over again. You find it in almost every single book of the Bible overtly, and it's always in the undercurrent. Why? Because what God has done in the past is a reminder of what God will do in the future. When you see God be the great redeemer, the great deliverer, you now pay that forward. You say, because God has been this way in my past, I can trust that God is going to be that way in the future, right? And so for the children of Israel here, they are reminded this idea that my father was a Syrian about to perish. And that really speaks of the fact that Abraham, he left Ur of the Chaldeans and he settled in an area called Haran, which is a city in what was called Aram in Upper Mesopotamia. So some of your translations said Aram or Syria, same area. And he was wandering about. And it says that he was about to perish. And the idea was when that great famine happened, 
God had already prepared the deliverance of the children of Israel by having Joseph be sold into slavery by his brothers, right? You can remember this all from the end of the book of Genesis. And Joseph even says, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You guys sold me into slavery because you wanted to get rid of me because you didn't like me and you wanted some extra dough to be able to play with. But God wanted me to get here so that I could save many people alive. And I could be God's vehicle for it. So even though they were in dire situation right? Joseph was there. Then Joseph sent for them. And because of the vision that God had given Pharaoh that Joseph was able to interpret, there was enough grain in Egypt to provide for everybody, right? And it says that they go there few in number. If you remember in your Bibles, it says that they went with 70 people down to Egypt. Now, it says in the book of Acts that there was 75. And some of those people, some people are like, well, that's why I can't believe the Bible. No, no, no. The Bible's smarter than you. It always has been. Where the extra five people come from? Well, guess what? In the counting of the people who went to Egypt, there's 70. Where's the five? Joseph, his wife, and their kids. I love when people say, oh, look, there's a mistake in the Bible. I can't trust them. No, no, no. The Bible's smarter than you. God puts these things in there so that we have to think about it. We have to understand. We have to say, Lord, what does this mean? So they go down there few in number, but then they grow to a mighty number of people. And you remember the book of Exodus opens up with this fact that the children of Israel had proliferated in the land and another Pharaoh ascended to the throne who didn't know Joseph, and didn't trust Joseph, and they saw God's blessing on the children of Israel and how they were growing like crazy. And the Pharaoh said, "Uh uh-oh, I got me a problem because if they're so numerous, then they're going to overtake my empire. So what did he do? He said, I'm I'm just going to subjugate them. I'm going to put them in a bad situation. And they recite all this stuff, all these things that we have read. The Egyptians mistreated us and they afflicted us and they laid hard bondage on us. So what do we do in verse seven? So we cried out to the Lord, your God, or your fathers. My friends, listen, the first person to call upon when you are in a hard place is the Lord. You have to remember that. You know what mostly you do? We call our friends, we call, you know, Ghostbusters or whoever, you know, when there's a problem. But you have to remember the first call is to the Lord. See, and the beauty is, is when there's no other options, the only person you have to call upon is the Lord. And in some ways, that's the most beautiful place to be. But I want you to put the Lord on speed dial. Because when you bring whatever's going on to the Lord, then you start to get that divine counsel of this is what I want to do in your life. This is how I want to work in this situation. Oftentimes, the Lord is the last person we get to. And we try this person's advice and this person's advice and this person says we should do this thing. But if we were to just speak to the Lord and search his word, we will get what exactly what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it. So they cried out to the Lord and it says that the Lord looked upon, he heard our voice, he looked upon our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So what did the Lord do? He delivered. And I'm here to tell you, listen, listen. No matter what's going on in your world, no matter how much havoc is happening, maybe you created all the havoc. When you call upon the Lord, he hears your voice, he looks upon your affliction, and he seeks to redeem. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how messed up you've made everything. When you call upon the Lord, he will hear you when you cry. He will see what is happening, and he will do a work. I had someone recently say to me, like, you know, this whole Christianity thing, you know, I don't understand why, you know, when things get bad, people call upon God. I'm like, they're right, they do. I'm like, you know why? Because when you're out of resources, you need to call on somebody who's got more resources than you. But you know what the thing is? All of our resources that we think are going to help us, they really don't. They just keep us from being the people that we're supposed to be. So the key is to learn that without having to lose everything. 
The key is to learn that reality in a place where you have it and say, no, oh, my trust is in the Lord. But when you don't have any other help, I'm like, I love it when people call on the Lord when they're at the end of everything. Because you know what? They should have called upon him in the beginning. So it doesn't matter when, the, God's not like, well, you should have called me first. I'm not answering your phone call right now. That's not the heart of our father. He just loves it when his kids call upon him and we say, Lord, we need to do a work. What are we supposed to do? And I'm here to tell you, because I know some of, there's some of you here right now, some of you who are listening to this, who you do not believe God can redeem everybody else, but you think God can't redeem me. I've done too many things wrong. I've made too many mistakes. I'm here to tell you that is a lie. That is a lie. Why? Because the enemy of your soul wants to keep you right where you are, which is lost because he's lost and he misery loves company and he wants you to be there. But I'm here to tell you that if you cry out to the Lord, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what it is, he will hear your voice. He will see what is going on and he will do a redemptive work. That's a promise. That's a promise. Now, I'm here to tell you, God's redemptive work often never looks the way we think it will. The children of Israel did not expect God to do all that he did with Egypt. I mean, remember, God started bringing plagues on Egypt and things got harder for them before it got better. Right? And ultimately, God delivers them with a mighty hand and they end up before the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies coming behind them and everyone's flipping out. But God still redeems. God's ways of doing it are unique. So I always tell people, well, God didn't redeem. No, he, he will, but it often doesn't look the way you think it's going to look. But God's ways are higher. They're better. So there's this constant recital of God's faithfulness. You know, look at verse eight. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I love that idea of flowing with milk and honey. I always like to remind you what that actually means. Now, it's a different culture for us. We're like, milk and honey, I can go to the farmer's market. I can go to Chuck's Produce. I can get my milk and honey. But a land flowing with milk and honey means there's great lands for grazing. So all the cattle can get what they need and have a lot of milk and honey. This was long before high fructose corn syrup and cane sugar and sucralose and splenda. The only way to to sweeten your food was with honey. A land flowing with milk and honey was absolutely awesome. It was like going to Costco and everything's free. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what it's talking about. It's like being in a Twinkie factory and you own all the Twinkies. You know, that's like my heaven spot right there, you know. Walking to a Twinkie factory and like, that's all yours. So insert your favorite foods and you won't get fat eating them and you'll live forever eating them. That's what a land flowing with milk and honey is. A good land, that's what it means. But notice what it says in verse 10. Because God has done that, verse 10, and now behold, see, God does his thing and we respond to God's good. And now behold, it says here, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. See that? God does all this amazing stuff and we respond by giving the first fruits back to the Lord. Lord, this is the first fruits of the land that you gave me. All this that you have given me, I turn it back to you, God. And my friends, I want you to live lives like that. You give God the first fruit of your time. Like I love, Charles Spurgeon said, I've always, I was blessed to read that as a young Christian. I will never look into the eyes of another person before I first look into the eyes of the Lord. You give God the first fruit of your day. Why? You know what happens if you don't give God the first fruit of your day? You get through the whole day. I mean, how many of you try and have your quiet time at night? I know what I call that? Sleeping. 
Because you're like, Lord, I'm going to pray and you're tired and you shut your eyes and you wake up the next morning drooling on your Bible. That's how that works. You know how I know that? Because I've tried. But when you give God the first fruits of your day, you give God the first fruits of your energy. What most of us do is we design our entire day and we do everything and we give God whatever's left over. You know what you find? There ain't nothing left over. You're giving God the leftovers of your day. No, you give him the best of your day. You take the gifts that God has entrusted you. You say, Lord, I'm going to give you the best of my energy in those gifts. I'm not going to waste it on everything else. And if I have something, no, you give them the first fruits. We want to be first fruit kind of people. Not because we have to, not in some legalistic way so that God loves us. God already loves us. And because God loves us, we give him our best. In the same way, my wife loves me. I give her the best of who I am. Why? Because she loves me. You respond to God's goodness. And that's the encouragement here. And I love this. It says, you know, in the middle of verse 10, then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Notice the giving of the first fruits is an act of worship. That's what this is. This is a means to worship. And you and I were created to worship God. Not just when we get together in church on Wednesdays and Sundays. Not when you're just in small group. We're meant to live lifestyles of worship. We present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. That's what it says in Romans 12.1. Or some of your translations says, which is your spiritual act of worship. Right? We live worshipful lives. And I want to encourage you, don't just worship on Sundays and Wednesdays. Worship every moment of every day. Look at the, when you go to your job, I'm worshiping God and my boss is getting the benefit or these customers are getting the benefit. When you're home helping your kids do the homework, you worship God by helping them understand how to do the four times tables. You know, when you are entertaining yourself, however you do that, you say, I want this entertainment to be an act of worship. And if you're like, well, this entertainment isn't very worshipful, then stop it. You know what I mean? If the thing that you entertain yourself with is sin and you're living lives of worship, you're like, well, this isn't really worship. This is actually Jesus died on the cross that I do this stuff. So I'm going to stop doing that. It's all about living lives of worship. Jesus is How often do we take time to remember just how faithful God has been to us? In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded us to think often of God's provision, just as the Israelites needed to. God had done great things for them. They needed to remember as they approached a new challenge. As we face new trials and challenges in life, we too must cling to the goodness and faithfulness of our loving and merciful Creator. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks for joining me on Jesus is Real Radio. I realize that not all of you who listen are followers of Jesus, but I actually believe that there are many of you right now as you've been listening, you're saying, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want his death and resurrection to be applied to my life. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me, which is just saying thank you to Jesus for saving you. Let's go ahead. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm so stoked for you. And I want to get some more resources into your hands to help you continue this journey. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, 
to 51400, 51400, and we'll get some resources into your hands. Now, don't go anywhere. Some folks from my team want to share some amazing things with you. Thanks, Daniel. Again, if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel, take out your cell phone and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. We'd love to get some resources into your hands, and the Crossroads team wants to connect with you. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel asks if we're transforming the world around us. As we dive deeper into God's love for us and absorb all he has to teach us, we'll transform into devoted followers of Christ. And as we transform, we'll also start to see the world around us differently. We'll begin to make changes and share Jesus, giving hope to a world that needs it. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Blueprints. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.